Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, Liquidware, and Policy Pack Software. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these amazing sponsors to thank. And now for some news. It appears the cat is out of the bag. Screenshots from a potential Windows 11 release candidate have been shared online. Now it is being referred to as a leak by most publications, but I at least feel that that is up for debate. Was it a leak or was it not? Perhaps Microsoft wanted to have expectations set before the announcements on June 24th. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll have heard me talk about a ZDNet article a few weeks ago that stated Windows 10X was being shelved and that Microsoft would instead incorporate some of the features they built for that OS into Windows 10. Well, it looks like this alleged Windows 11 is getting some of those features, including a new taskbar layout that is centered rather than putting the icons starting to the bottom left of the screen. A GIF shared online also shows a new animation when you select to pin something to the taskbar. We are once again treated or threatened, depending on the way you look at it, with a new start menu layout. It looks much more minimalist than the Windows 10 and Windows 10 iterations. We'll have to wait and see what the reaction to this will be once people try to use it, but already it has been shared pretty widely that you can change the start menu back with a simple setting. So if you don't like the new hotness, it should be pretty easy just to set it back to what people are currently used to. You can also see in screenshots shared of the start menu and other menus and windows that they have moved to rounded edges. I think this actually looks pretty nice and it does give the OS a little bit of a different look and feel. And hey, do you remember widgets? The widgets that people would litter their desktops with? Well, it looks like they may be coming back too. Also shown is a new snap control feature for making it easier to manage your screen real estate. It looks like maybe a more user-friendly power toys, but we'll have to wait and see how well it works with multiple monitors. The only examples I've seen have been within an open menu already, being able to select where to put that menu on the screen. So we'll see how it compares to power toys, which I think everyone who's used it has really liked. And by the way, Power Toys is available. I mentioned on previous episodes of the podcast already, and you can use that to kind of carve up a single wide monitor, for example, into different sections. It has been stated that the setup experience has changed and it is more streamlined, similar to the short-lived Windows 10X. I also noticed that Michael Nihas had shared a screenshot and it looked like the font is uh, Sigui UI, which is actually my preferred uh, font when I create things in Word. Michael Nihas actually had a couple of really interesting blog posts on this Windows 11 as well. And he says that he left Microsoft before any of this was being talked about. So he was free to blog about it as an ex-Microsoft employee who was not informed about any of these plans. And it's really interesting. You should check out Michael Niehaus' blog for more on that. 
The Verge reported that as of yet, the store has not been updated, and they believe that several InOS apps will be receiving updates, but that was not apparent in any of the images leaked so far. So I guess I'll probably be repeating most of this story again on a future episode that I create after the 24th of June, as that's going to be their big Windows-oriented event. So it'll be interesting to see what else they announce that hasn't already been leaked. Quote-unquote leaked. (laughs) AWS suffered a temporary loss of a single availability zone in Amazon Web Services' EU Central Region, or EUC underscore AZ-1. At the time of the incident, as they updated their status page, people started to suggest that there had been a fire. And I think people came to that conclusion from the status that they posted that said, quote, while temperatures continue to return to normal levels, engineers are still not able to enter the affected part of the availability zone. We believe that the environment would be safe for re-entry within the next 30 minutes, but are working on recovery remotely at this stage, end quote. Thankfully, subsequent updates provided at least suggested there was no fire, but things got pretty hot in there as some air handlers used to cool the data center went down. When things got very hot, the fire suppression system activated, which in turn prevented engineers from entering the building. The downtime lasted for over three hours, and thankfully no one was hurt. The only impact reported was loss of connectivity to some EC2 instances, increased API error rates, and latencies for the EC2 APIs. In other cloud-related news, this week Microsoft launched their new sustainable data center region based in Goodyear, Arizona, which is part of the Phoenix metropolitan area. Customers can choose to build and run their Microsoft Azure applications from West US 3, This new West US 3 data center region includes Azure availability zones, which offer customers additional resiliency options for their applications by designing the region with unique physical data center locations with independent power, network, and cooling for additional tolerance to data center failures. For customers looking to leverage the new region and availability zones, Azure offers region portability for multiple resources with Azure Resource Mover. Microsoft also stated that some of the early local customers include Banner Health, the state of Arizona, and Teradata. The new data center region is built with sustainable design and operations in mind to help bring Microsoft's operations to being carbon negative by 2030. Microsoft will have power purchase agreements for green energy contracted for 100% of carbon emitting electricity consumed by all data centers, buildings, and campuses by that time. Microsoft are working with the Long Road Energy on their 150 megawatt Sunstreams 2 PV solar plant, which is located in Maricopa County. Renewable energy from Sunstreams 2 using first solar technology will offset the energy use of the new campus with renewable energy certificates from the project. They state Microsoft's Arizona data centers will use zero water for cooling for more than half of the year, leveraging a method called adiabatic cooling, which uses outside air instead of water for cooling when temperatures are below 85 degrees Fahrenheit. 
When temperatures reach above 85 degrees, an evaporative cooling system is used, which operates like swamp coolers in residential homes. They say this system is highly efficient, using less electricity and a fraction of water used by other water-based cooling systems, such as cooling towers. Now, I lived in Phoenix, Arizona for close to eight and a half years. Personally, I mean, I've experienced what a swamp cooler is like, and I feel like it doesn't do as good a job of cooling. I know that's open for debate. My old friend Patty McGuire over there swore by swamp coolers, so I'm sure on an industrial scale, there's probably a really serious setup that can do with swamp coolers, which, as they say, it's highly efficient, so it'd be pretty cool to see that applied to a data center. EA, as they are known in gaming circles, which stands for Electronic Arts, got hit with ransomware, and how the hackers got in is a really good cautionary tale for all others. A stolen cookie was purchased for $10 that got them Slack access, which they then used for social engineering purposes to attain a multi-factor authentication. Slack and Teams are awesome platforms, but you still need to exercise caution. So if you've got things for like maybe custom alerting or different plugins into these products, Slack and Teams, it's a good idea to limit visibility to a certain channel and also just to remind employees to practice the same type of critical thinking to messages and links put into these products as they would for email. And I know that's not saying much since so many people who maybe are not so tech savvy just click on links by email, whatever they are. Um, some people are very easily duped. So it's just as easy to dupe them in Microsoft Teams or Slack chat as well. But still, it's important for InfoSec to include that in training, I believe. You know, you're teaching them, hey, look for these things when someone tries to send you something by email. Well, you should really look at these things if someone's trying to hit you up on Teams or Slack too. In July, Microsoft will be rolling out a lightweight version of Visio as web app in Microsoft 365. It'll be available at no additional cost for all commercial licensed subscribers. They say the lightweight version of the web app will offer core Visio functionalities and allow business users to create, edit, and share professional diagrams. While users with more specialized diagramming needs will continue to derive value from the standalone plans Visio Plan 1 and Visio Plan 2. So it'll be interesting to see what the pricing is going to be on those standalone ones. I'm assuming for us techies at least, you know, the basic diagrams that we create, like network diagrams, hopefully the web app is going to be good enough. While it won't be available to 365 subscribers until July, it is already available in early access today. Ram Wolf's awesome Remote Display Analyzer version 2106 has launched. New features include a new Teams offloading status that's been added for Microsoft AVD, Citrix, and VMware. So you can tell if it's optimized or not. There's also support for Microsoft Azure Virtual Desktop RDP short path. There's a new Citrix built to lossless quality slider that's been added. They've added a GUI ability to turn on or off NVIDIA GPU monitoring, pretty cool. There's RDA now supports session disconnect reconnect. Monitoring now continues if a session is reconnected. 
They've fixed NVIDIA license detecting issues. They have support for all the latest Microsoft Citrix and VMware versions, plus various fixes and improvements and more. And to wrap up this week's news, a few quick hit stories. BleepingComputer.com reports that PowerShell updates will be released via Windows Update in future. I think this is awesome and sorely needed. They state that Microsoft has already started working on PowerShell releases that will upgrade from 7.2 Preview 5 and later to 7.2 Preview 7 using Microsoft Updates. Microsoft have also added support for detecting jailbroken iOS devices to Microsoft's Defender for Endpoint, which if you're not familiar with it, that's the enterprise version of Windows 10 Defender Antivirus. The new detection capability now available in the Enterprise Endpoint Security Platform, or previously known as Defender Advanced Threat Protection, you may know it more as ATP, will warn security teams of both managed and unmanaged jailbroken iPhones and iPads on their network. So if you're someone who uses a jailbroken device for personal use and maybe you bring that onto the corporate network, beware that might get flagged in future if they're using ATP, which... I guess is now called Enterprise Endpoint Security Platform. I think I preferred ATP personally. A new version of the awesome Evergreen script has been released, version 1.51. They've added several apps into the mix, including FSLogix, the Uber Agent tab, Azure Data Studio, and more. So check that out. And finally, to wrap up this week's news, a brand new Numescent cloud paging user group has been launched. So if you have any interest in cloud paging, it's a product that I love and I've talked about quite a bit. If you're either an active customer already and you use the product, or maybe you're just someone who's interested in the product and you want to learn more about it, you can sign up to the cloud paging user group today. And you can also register for the very first meetup, which is going to be a virtual event held on July 23rd. I'll mention that again as a weekly webinar um, closer to the time, but feel free to sign up. It's at cloudpagingug.org, and I'll share a link with this episode for that, which is available at fivebytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 181, and I include links to everything that I mention on every single episode of the podcast, and you can find all of that at fivebytespodcast.com. And now, some hot jobs. Citrix are looking for some technical account managers who'll be able to work remote in the UK or Dublin. Responsibilities include supporting a number of Citrix clients, owning the post sales and delivery to customers. You'll be accountable for building strong working relationships with named customer contacts, providing Citrix advocacy and understanding customer roadmap, deployment and expansion plans. You'll understand each customer's business strategies and apply Citrix's proven customer success methodology to lead them through all phases of the implementation journey with the focus on adoption and customer outcomes, plus more. It looks like you'll be required to travel to the customer sites for operational project and business reviews. And they're looking for someone with a wealth of previous technical account management experience or similar experience with strong customer engagement someone with a bachelor's degree or above or relevant industry experience, 
advanced troubleshooting and problem-solving skills developed in a live support environment, ability to work both independently and collaboratively, think creatively to tackle challenges and remove obstacles to successfully realize customer outcomes. You should obviously have a deep understanding of Citrix software products, and it's saying that certifications on Citrix products and equivalent certifications from competitors or partner products are also an advantage. So it sounds like maybe that's not a requirement, and that's a good thing because personally, I know there's a lot of people who don't really believe in the certificates. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just that it seems like it's a business now for these cracked cert exams. So you're able to get like a dump of the questions and the answers. So it's more about just memorizing those. And at least personally, that kind of disheartened me. I did a few Microsoft certs and I was actually, I talked to my buddy, Andrew Morgan, a few years ago and I was like, hey, you know, you've got a lot of certs. I'm thinking about maybe trying to up myself on certs. But then when I discovered that they had all these like exam dumps out there, I got disheartened and I was like, well, there's really no point of doing it if, you know, everyone else is just using these dumps. You know, it's not really a genuine qualification in my opinion. And I know a lot of people probably put a lot of effort into doing these exams and they see the value in them and certainly employers do see value in having them like Citrix for example here that's just I don't know I'm ranting <laughs> this is about those jobs so if you're interested in those positions I'll share a link with this episode again which is episode 181 and also a reminder on last week's episode I talked about a policy pack product specialist position that's going and that one's a remote job as well. I had said that I was actually going to get rid of the hot job segment and I've only been doing it here and there and mainly I've been focusing on remote jobs and I said that I would do that. I'd say, well, if there's remote work since a lot of people seem to specifically look for remote and not everyone's doing it, that I would mention it on the podcast. But then the pandemic happened and a lot of more employers started going with remote work. So I've been doing more hot job segments than I'd maybe anticipated. But still, yep, if you're (laughs) looking for a new job, definitely consider a technical account manager position with Citrix if you're in the UK or Ireland, and also policy pack if you're in the US. And now some scripts, tricks, and tips. My buddies at HTG UK have released a new white paper, which is free to download. And it's focusing on, you know, obviously the shift to more remote work. And they're going from the angle of the fact that it has the potential to boost productivity, retention, and job satisfaction. But they state that that's only true if you have a concrete strategy and the right collaboration tools. They say that the rise of remote and hybrid work has accelerated faster than most businesses could have predicted. And they've created a guide for those who want to prepare for a flexible future. And they've got some really handy checklists in there and some really great information for you to be able to apply to planning either a full remote workforce or possibly a hybrid workforce, which seems to be the more popular option, at least now, maybe in future after the pandemic has dissipated and things are more in a better flow businesses will start to look at their real estate portfolio and maybe start to sell or possibly just let leases expire and send people to work from home remotely like 100%. But at least initially, it seems like hybrid work could be the more popular model. DoITPSWay.com have a really useful guide on how you can add support 
for OS deployments through Wi-Fi on SCCM so you can re-image machines on any Wi-Fi network. Could be very useful in a pinch if that's a struggle that you have in your organization. Could also be risky. <laughs> so uh, obviously apply some common sense to if you want to use it. If it's a secure Wi-Fi network, eh, why not? Lieben.nu shared their solution called Lean Labs, which is Labs for Intune, which simply and directly integrates into the Intune console to help you manage your Microsoft Labs. So that's for your like local account passwords. And they've recently added timestamping logs, removing passwords from the Intune log files, and extra resiliency. So now is a good time to check out that if you're using Laps and you use Intune, it might be an extra tool in your tool belt for managing that. And again, to pimp my own stuff because <laughs> I've been churning out or is churning the right word? I guess spitting out or developing new work every single week now. Um, I did recently share a script that I've used as a script-based action or actually runs automatically using Control Up Automate that clears old SCCM update cache. So that's a really, really useful one. So what I've been doing is I've been setting a threshold of either 10 gigs or four gigs, depending on my machine type. And when it hits that threshold, it automatically runs the script and clears out the old SCCM cache. So usually on average, based on how our cache settings were in my last environment, that would clear about seven gigs of space. So I'd actually have my trigger within Control Hub send me an email to tell me, hey, this machine was running low on disk space, and it sends me an alert to say that it ran this cleanup script. So that way, if it's maybe an anomaly or I need to consider adding more storage, I get the prompt that the script ran, everything's okay, but maybe I should look at it. Or, you know, maybe it's just rot that builds up over time and just clearing that cache is good enough. And Control Up also announced they're releasing a scheduled trigger feature in version 8.5. So I've been thinking about possibly applying this clear SCCM cache script to run one week after patching. That way it's just constantly clearing out that SCCM update cache of all of its contents. So it's always keeping things clean on an ongoing basis. And also related to some of my own work with ControlUp, I blogged about how I use Scoutbees to help resolve an issue or performance issue I had with my own website, RoryMon.com. So I've had Scoutbees set up to test with a ping and also just a, you know, a get with HTTPS of my website um, for the last few months. And all of a sudden, I think it was last Tuesday, I was taking some holiday time and sure enough, I look at my phone and I've got a bunch of alert emails from Scalpies. And it turned out what was happening was I set a timeout of 10 seconds. I said, you know, if it can't resolve the site within 10 seconds, there's something wrong with that. And I just started getting a flood of alerts every five minutes that it was taking more than 10 seconds to resolve the site. And what was really useful was the fact that I had this log of alerts I use a third-party hosting service for my website. So I'm able to go to their support team and say, hey, look, this is how long it took to load on average for the last several months. And from 7.30 on Tuesday morning, this is 
the performance. So something changed. You know, help me figure it out. Now, luckily I was able to resolve this issue and performance has improved, but it's really useful for me, even just from a personal standpoint, to be able to ensure that I'm getting the performance and what I basically paid for from this provider. In my last organization, I'd also set it up for things like the external facing patient portal, for our external facing Citrix gateway, and also just internal apps as well. So if you've never heard of Scoutbees, you should really check it out. It is the most simple setup of any enterprise product that I've ever used as well. I mean, you're up and running with alerts and with tests within five minutes because it's a cloud-based product. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.